And it all comes down to this. Two on, two out. Bottom of the ninth, the Farmers lead by one. Full count. Here comes the play at the plate, and it's the Agview Pit! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Agview Pitch, and we're heading into another week of marketing, coming off a short week and a report. Dwayne, how's it going? Good, Chris. Um, glad to have the report behind us, and uh, it's now created opportunities, and now we got to figure out what to do with those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So by now, a lot of people have heard uh, the numbers off the report and all that, so we don't need to spend much time on that, but... What I do want to ask you is, is there one or two things, kind of key things that, that you took away from the report that we need to be thinking about or need to be aware of um, moving into the next week and, and into the future here? Well, I think the uh, um, probably rather than a couple of items, um, I would say the themes is what I would focus on. And the themes are that maybe the reports um, – have created an opportunity for a producer to do some marketing and hedging. Um, but when you look at the raw numbers out of the report, I'm not sure that they justify sustaining the price levels we're at. You know, to give you a perspective, um, if the carryout in the end is exactly what USDA has projected it in this last report, um, it's the highest stocks to use ratio that we've had since 2005. And in terms of a raw carryout at 2.5 billion bushels, you know, you got to go back a long ways to find one larger than that. That's a bit sobering. Another thing that's uh, sobering about the report, uh, USDA lowered usage by 100 million bushels in September versus what they pegged in August. That's a bit troubling. If we get, as we go into the winter and we start talking about 2021, um, and if we use the same acreage as this year and use trend line yields, we'll be talking about adding 500 or 600 million bushels to the carryout for the next year. And that's assuming we have another year of large China corn imports. That's a bit sobering. Um, so if you look at global exporters in the report um, from like Argentina, Brazil, Russia, South Africa, and Ukraine, their total uh, projected exports um, are above what they were last year and equal to the year before. Um, if you look at China's corn imports, USDA didn't really make any changes there. That looks odd and probably is not correct and will have to be updated to a larger import program. But they have U.S. corn exports pegged at 2.3 uh, billion bushels. That was up 560 million bushels from last year. Well, 560 million is 14.2 million metric ton. And so despite all the ramping up of China's corn imports, it would appear that the yesterday or Friday's report has uh, the vast majority of that, if not all of that, largely factored in. And so if that's what it is, we have all this demand plugged in, and we're still talking about a $2.5 billion carryout, that's troubling. And uh, we're talking about equal acres for next year, and you're going to be adding to that carryout. That's troubling. So um, those things are warning signs, I think. I think you could go through the soybean report, and you find some other things that are also a bit sobering. And uh, um, I think when you look longer term, if you're looking for something bullish to lean on, 
it's probably the idea that the U.S. needs to attract more soybean acres in 21 and less corn acres. So is that going to be uh, done through uh, keeping a lid on corn prices, uh, uh, keeping new crop bean prices um, somewhat uh, propped up? Is there going to be an acreage uh, battle at line drawn at some point? You know, how's that all unfold? I don't know. But uh, the most important thing I think to address regarding yesterday or Saturday, Friday's report is that uh, maybe current prices are difficult to justify from the data from within in the report. When that storm went through, one thing we talked about in a couple podcasts ago or whatever, I mean, it was a bit revealing when all those bins got taken out and there was no corn in them. If there's supposed to be corn somewhere, it was probably in the middle part of Iowa. We had good crops last year. Where's the corn at then? I mean, where where are all, all these bushels? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. And uh, I think it's a legitimate question. There are a lot of people in the commercial grain trade that really ponder seriously whether USDA has, uh, over the years, um, maybe overstated our total inventory. Um, but even if that's true, until USDA tells us, you know, it's almost like a mute point. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we've all tried to battle USDA before, and it's usually at our own expense. So I think about all we can do is look at it at face value until they decide that they're going to change the numbers. Some will point to the storyline that you've just mentioned and say, well, when we get the next quarterly stocks report at the end of September, maybe we'll get some clue there. Well, um, I think most people have spent far more time dreaming up those type of scenarios only to get disappointed from the USDA throughout the years. But I think the best approach is just taking it at face value. This is what USDA says it is, and until or unless they change it, we should proceed and make decisions assuming these are, are what they are. Uh, talk about basis. What are you seeing or hearing? I mean, if I look at some local basis or, or like central Iowa, and, and does that have something to do with the storm that went through the, the basis in that area? I know Cargill struggling to get corn. You know, they're they're 20 over. A lot of times they're you know, 30 under or whatever. So are you seeing that in other parts of the country? What are you seeing on basis and what do you anticipate as we get closer to harvest? And obviously it's going to be different from one area to another, but let's have you touch on basis for a minute. Well, addressing central Iowa, uh, you know, at one time it was perceived that uh, corn basis might be weak because of that windstorm event, forced sales, et cetera, lack of storage. But reality is it was, uh, a reduction in supply, and so the basis strength that you're seeing might be partially due to that. But I think the basis strengthening uh, narrative has been more widespread than just Central Iowa or just a region. Um, and even in areas that have not seen their new crop basis levels improve, and those areas are probably best defined as those areas that have maintained good yield potential throughout the summer and haven't been affected by drought or, or anything else. Uh, even those locations have a, have a, a significant improvement in their bids for November, second half November, December, things of this nature. So um, that means that there's a lot of room for basis levels to improve in those locations as well. So 
until proven differently, I'm going to imagine that corn basis will stay somewhat relatively firm. When harvest begins to um, unfold, maybe we'll see basis weaken um, in some of the areas that have had the most strength of late, but any prolonged period of basis weakness probably isn't likely. It probably depends a lot on how much producer selling takes place. Um, I think most producers, whether it's right or it's wrong, are going to try to put bushels into storage and uh, try to defer the delay selling as much as possible. And when if they're a corn and soybean farmer combined, a lot of them are planning on making much larger sales of corn, uh, soybeans for their cash flow needs, which will only make them even a tighter holder on corn. So I think there are some things going on in the background that uh, might keep corn basis relatively well supported. And if there's a period of time, early mid-harvest, where it is weak, it'd probably be a short-lived event. Yeah, you're partially answering the question I was going to ask. I'll ask it anyway and see where this goes. But with corn, these corn at 368.5 and no beans at 996, aren't we, I mean, if you go back and look, and I was screaming at you, what, I don't know, seven or eight podcasts ago, we got to price this stuff. Well, there's probably people that still didn't price very much. I mean, at what point, I mean, isn't it time like on the beans? Uh, I don't know of too many clients and there could be some exceptions to this. Cause I'm not looking at my, my data right now, but isn't, doesn't it make sense to, to be pulling the trigger fairly heavily on soybeans with the, the recent rallies that we've had? And, and, you know, I mean, obviously there could be exceptions to this where the yields are bad or, whatever there's probably exceptions to everything but generally speaking this is pretty darn good price we've seen a huge increase haven't we on soybeans and warrants some sales um regardless of what their own individual uh, yield levels are um, i'm advocating and pushing my clients to be 100 percent sold on beans here um, at some point in time we may want to uh, consider replacing that uh, ownership with some call options but I have no interest in doing that anytime soon. And I have no interest in, in buying, replacing the ownership until we've had a sizable pullback in futures, sizable meaning something greater than 50 cents. So I'm, I want to be very, very aggressive with um, bean sales. I want the producer to take the attitude that he spent virtually all of 2020 feeling he would never get anywhere close to this level and thought, for a large portion of 2020 that he wouldn't even get within a dollar of where it is right now. Um, for many, they'll have yields that these dollars allow them to have a profitable operation. For those that get hurt in yield, there's no guarantee that the marketplace has to give you a profitable you know, ending. So I would still, even in those cases, encourage an aggressive uh, selling stance or hedge stance if you're going to store them on the farm. But in reality, if you look at the basis values being offered on beans versus normal, you look at the futures market not having any carry, um, it's difficult to justify storing the physical crop. And uh, if you think beans are going to $12 um, and anything's possible, 
Um, and if we had a problem in South America, um, we could possibly warrant something like that. Uh, you're still probably better off to, to uh, own the paper than you would to own the physical. So I want to see producers aggressively um, price this stuff, put a ribbon on 2020, call it good, and, and recognize it's a lot better than they thought it was going to be at one time. And uh, I would imagine we'll talk about corn, but I, I have a uh, plan that's not too dissimilar even on corn. But yes, I want to be uh, an aggressive seller of producers. Okay, so the answer is yes. I do want to talk about corn too. So um, I'm, I'm with you on, on the bean thing because it just, it just makes sense. And for a lot of operations, in my opinion, rather even than, than a re-ownership, we're still long 2021. We'll get to 21 in a minute. I want to talk about corn, 20 corn for a second first though. So 2020 corn, uh, 368 and a half. When we were 50 cents lower than this, um, you you were not in the mood to do anything. What's your mood now? Um, we'll break it down for a few different pers- uh, situations producers might be in. If producers have to move bushels um, during this harvest window, either for to generate cash flow or, or due to a lack of storage, I would absolutely price all of those bushels right now. For producers that are going to store um, corn in the bin on the farm, they want to try to capture carry. They think they can get better basis. I think all of that is a legitimate and justified and warranted approach. I would be aggressively pricing uh, the July contract with HTAs or, or futures, uh, whatever tool you wanted to use. But July is at 388. Um, by the time basis levels improve to, to something probably quite a bit better than what's offered now, um, those are going to be some attractive sales. Um, I would move, I'm encouraging my customers to get to 100% hedged on that also. Now, prices down the road, could they be better at some point? Maybe, but um, the approach that I want to see take, I want to completely tie up the 2020 production. Uh, get everything priced, hedged, sold, whatever, depending on if you're storing it on the farm or not, and then uh, call that good. And then if we get a pullback, which I think is highly likely, then there will be a time again to maybe consider owning calls and maybe in that process of establishing calls, you know, um, sometime down the road, maybe there's a, be an opportunity to catch another 15 or 20 cents or something like that. The reason that I'm making an aggressive stance in uh, corn out of price um, is because uh, at two and a half billion carryout, at the stocks to use ratio the way they are, at a uh, a need to either reduce corn acres or to face rising carryouts again for the 2021 20, uh, crop season, um, the marketplace would appear to me have, to have some limitations as far as how far it can rally and when it rallies. And um, I think it's possible that uh, the corn market will not earn its carry. In other words, by the time we arrive at, at March, maybe we won't have March corn futures where they are now. Or if they are, they will have first 
staged a, a, a break. I'm concerned that downside risk from here is, is at least 30 cents. Maybe that's 30 cents during the growing season. Um, but here again, I think the producer needs to look at a perspective. We are far higher right now at harvest time than the producer spent much of 2020 thinking he was going to get, worried that he was going to get. And, uh, you know, I think it's time to make the sales and to, to tie off what is offered. And a lot of times um, price peaks or price rallies into that harvest time frame are difficult to be uh, find a time where you, that's a bad sale until much, much later. And uh, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a strong advocate of an aggressive sales stance here, which is a lot different than, you know, probably people have heard me on this podcast before, but that's, that's where I'm at. Okay. So you're different than what we we've been here in which that that's, that's good. That, that uh, gives us gives us some direction and some things to really think about and to crunch some numbers on. Let's look at 21 for a minute. And before I do that, I was just looking at the corn bean ratio. Uh, it's 2.4 on 20 crop, and it's a 2.7 on on new crop. So when you look at the the bean price for the 21 crop, it's not nearly as good as it is for the 20 crop, but yet um, it's still right in the black for just getting to the black for a lot of producers where that price level is at on corn. It's not, you know, I mean, it's, it's there. Um, but you've talked about last summer when we had that rally, you know, be looking at 2021 and you weren't as interested in 20. So what is your interest in 2021 now? We're at levels that you were talking about earlier this summer and maybe even a little higher. So what what do you see for 2021? Start with corn. I want to be aggressively pricing the 2021 corn crop at current values. Um, somewhere down the road, again, be looking to buy a calls against those sales. But right now, I want producers to uh, capture what's offered. The price levels we're at on Beast 21 um, has gotten into the target zone that I laid out last uh, during the summer as being the target level. And so I want to be very aggressive there. In terms of the uh, beans for 21, and I bring it up now because it's kind of part of the decision for being aggressive on 21 corn sales, I don't want to make any uh, 21 bean sales, but I am willing to be very aggressive on 21 corn sales. The, like I mentioned before, if we maintain corn acres at the same level next year that we had this year, and we have to listen to everybody talk about trend line yield projections all the time from November, December, January, all the way into the spring, we're going to be talking about adding 400 to 600 million bushels to the, whatever the carryout is on this 2020 crop. And that would be approaching us closer to 3 billion bushels again. That narrative going forward for the 21 crop is not going to be very constructive or very positive. Um, the, the exact opposite is true on beans. Um, wherever the 2020 soybean carryout is, if we extrapolate uh, this year's yields into 2021, 
Um, we're not going to be talking about adding much bean carryout at all to U.S. numbers. And I think that the odds are that in the months ahead, as we get to the South American growing season, there'll be quite a bit of uh, pressure on them to have a good year not to, and to avoid any you know, major concerns. And I think the market will have a very heightened awareness of any concerns uh, with that growing season. And I, even though normally I would say that would be a, impacted mostly on the nearby contracts, and it may very well be that way this year also, um, with the nearby contracts already at a you know 50 cent premium over no 21 futures, I'm not so sure a problem in South America with the um, assumption that Chinese demand is going to be, again, quite front-end loaded here, I'm not so sure that No. 21 isn't going to be a pretty strong benefactor of that. And so I'm going to take a very aggressive pricing stance on the 21 corn with my clients, and we're not going to make any sales on 21 beans. So our, our uh, diversification, so to speak, will be just in, in between crops. You know, we're, we're going to stay open on the beans and, and be aggressive on the corn. On the 21 corn, are you an advocate of, you know, utilizing the the carry there too and looking out at that 22, July 22, I think the other day, or I don't know, it was like, it's been up to like 403, I think. I don't have it in front of me, but are you pricing some of that and or are you pricing stuff that, growers would have to move off the combine or a little of both or, or everything? Well, the 2021 crop, uh, you got beast corn at just under 390. You've got uh, the July 22 you're talking about on Friday. It got up to 407 and three quarters. It settled okay. 407. Yep. So that spread at 17 cents. Um, there's probably a strong case that could be made that if you are going to be doing selling there, even if you're hedging and you're selling futures, many would say just sell the piece because at 17 cents at some point in time, that spread might get wider, right. especially given the fundamental backdrop that we've talked about. But to be honest with you, I would probably do some of the July anyway, just because 407 looks pretty good. And uh, I would just capture some of that. I don't care whether the producer sells these 21 here or sells July 22 at current values. I don't care which one. Um, I think there's justification probably in splitting it up. And I think that people that follow spreads could build a strong case for doing it all in these. And I would concur that they're probably correct with that. But I would still end up doing some in the July uh, 22. Um, but at the end of the day, um, which one you do it in is less important to me than just getting it done. So I'm, I'm getting pretty, pretty wrapped up with questions, I guess. I mean, it, it's uh, there's some stuff for us to do. It sounds to me like, you know, based on what you're saying, I think part of it from my perspective is to sit down and run some numbers a little closer. We can, we can roll the 2020 cost production into 21. I've done that with a lot of our clients to figure out, okay, what type of margin are we talking? What's that look like? Um, the only, I guess the only final question I have for you for this podcast, Dwayne, and then you can kind of wrap up with whatever we haven't talked about that we need to, but is that um, with moving forward, what, 
trying to think how I want to ask this question. Moving forward, do we, um, how aggressive do we really want to be? I mean, is there, is, especially a new crop, is there a risk, you know, with inflation, with um, ethanol demand improving, other things happening that gives us strength in the market that we need to absolutely be sure we're watching to get that stuff re-owned or have calls or some type of way to keep the top side open? Um, what's the threat level there? I guess is how I should have asked the question in the first place. The threat level of inflation and something completely changing the, the you know underlying dynamics, um, that's a legitimate concern. I would never uh, encourage any of my clients to be as aggressively priced as I'm describing here if they were not uh, willing to buy it back on paper, either buy futures or buy calls at some point. Or in some cases, they might have a cash grain buyer that they're able to do HTAs out there, and then that same cash grain buyer will turn around and buy calls for them also as a service and a fee associated with it. But um, that's also a possibility. If they're, if the person is not willing to do that, if they're not willing to do paper reownership, you know, it's, I, I'm not going to recommend they be as aggressive as I'm describing. However, what um, I am concerned that before we ever get a change in dynamics like you're describing or um, of inflation, I think that we'll have plenty of time and opportunities to, to uh, do a paper reownership against this. In regards to your comment about, you know, pushing the numbers and, and whether it's profitable, I don't think it'll be a very desirable sale for producers looking at from a profitability standpoint. Um, but here again, the marketplace doesn't have to give you profitability. Right. Uh, I think that um, given what we think we know about production in 2020 for carry out of 2020, um, all the demand optimism that's already plugged into the old crop balance sheets. Um, I think that the market's absorbed an awful lot. I, I think that you're dealing with a situation that these might not be your most desirable prices, but you could easily see December 21 futures, which now are at approximately 390. There's nothing saying they couldn't be at 350 at some time during the winter. And if you need to have a conversation with your lender for 21 financing, which was the, my main motivation for looking for opportunities to price 21 so that when you came into this winter period that you didn't have to face that lender with a, with a poor situation, I think there's a strong case to be, uh, to be able to walk into your lender and say, hey, I've got a large percentage of my crop uh, price. I plan to have call options against that. I've made crop insurance decisions that puts me ahead of the game, you know, and, and go to them, go to them with a very proactive uh, approach to 21. I think your that conversation is going to go a lot better than if you walk in and maybe haven't sold any 20, haven't sold any 21, and prices maybe by the time you get in to see them about 21 financing happens to be 20 or 30 cents lower than they are right now, which in my opinion is very plausible. I think that will make it for a very difficult conversation. And so that's another reason for my motivation to be uh, aggressively proactive towards the 21 crop. 
Sounds good, Dwayne. Uh, getting up against probably time here. We should wrap things up. I think this was a great conversation. We got uh, covered a lot of ground. Is there any final thing or anything I didn't ask that we need to wrap up with? No, I think we've kind of covered everything that um, I think is important. Um, I would ask producers that want to challenge me on, on this approach to uh, reach out, give me a call, and if they got questions about how they might best do that for 21 and they want to, and some of the things I've offered are intriguing, I guess, again, reach out, let's have a conversation. Um, this is the time of year to be having that conversation because uh, it's going to be difficult to me making decisions and plans on 21 when everybody's busy in the field with harvesting of 20. There's also, you know, crop insurance decisions that need to be done here and now as well. So um, anybody wants to reach out to talk, I think now's the time to do it. What's the best way for some new listeners that might be on here? What's the quickest way, best way to get hold of you? Uh, the first thing that they can do, they can go to my website. It's cropproductionscience.com. Um, otherwise, my phone number, which is 563-419-1300. 563-419-1300. I was listening. Good. Hey, uh, Dwayne, thanks for the conversation today. It was really good. I think... Uh, a lot of, lot of things for people to think about right now. We've gotten some opportunities that we thought we probably never would have gotten. Probably time to, to do some math and do some hard thinking. Thanks a lot, Dwayne, and appreciate your time today. All right. Thanks, sir. You bet. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Ag View Pitch. Mm-hmm.